Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Harvey Wasserman. Harvey Wasserman is a lifelong activist and one of the best of them. He teaches history and cultural and ethnic diversity at two colleges in central Ohio. He works to shut down nuclear power and create Solartopia. You should go to his website at solartopia.org as well as freepress.org. Harvey Wasserman and Bob Fetrakis covered the presidential election theft in Ohio in 2004 and have been warning about the unsecure U.S. election system in 2016. And we'll talk about some of the articles Harvey's been co-authoring on that topic. Harvey Wasserman, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. David, it's great to be with you. Uh, it's wonderful to have you on here. Uh, you have an article you wrote uh, with Bob Fetrakis and Mimi Kennedy with the title, Can Bernie Win a Strip and Flip Selection? Not election, but selection. Let's talk about those those elements. What's the stripping and what's the flipping? Okay, so um, we have a history, David, in this country of uh, divide and conquer between the races, of course. The um, And uh, the way that the Republican Party has taken over the government is to uh, keep blacks and whites at each other's throats. And uh, the way they win elections, and actually Richard Nixon's answer to the civil rights movement has been to strip as many African Americans and now Hispanics as possible from the voter rolls so that they can't uh, vote. If, if we look at the demographics, for example, of the Deep South, from South Carolina across uh, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Louisiana, you have states that are pretty much 40% African-American and Hispanic. So the, the tactic is to strip as many of these people off the voter rolls as possible. Now, Greg Callis has done some great reporting, starting in Florida 2000, actually, where he showed that Jeb Bush, the governor of Florida at the time, stripped about 90,000 African-Americans and Hispanics off the voter rolls in an election that his brother allegedly won. We don't think he did, really, uh, by 600, less than 600 votes. So it's going on today. Uh, Greg has authored a new piece uh, showing that um, upwards of 700,000, that's 700,000 voters, are being stripped from the rolls in Ohio, where uh, between 5 and 6 million people vote. So it's more than 10% of the vote. And it's almost exclusively African-Americans and Hispanics who are being stripped off the voter rolls. They do this by computer program. In Florida 2000, they, they claimed that all these people were ex-felons. It turned out not one of them was. Uh, this year, there's, that what they're doing is going after duplicate names and uh, using uh, common names, which are like Jackson, Johnson, Smith, Jones, that are often, oh, there's a higher percentage of black people who have common names and, uh, and by a substantial margin, actually. And people should look at Greg Palace's website if they're interested in the details. Uh, and so, again, the strategy is to um, prevent voting while black and voting while Hispanic and just tip the balance up front uh, against the Democratic Party. Not that the Democratic Party is worth fighting for, but in this case, you'll have a clear uh, unbalancing of the election. And, of course, it has implications should we ever get a major third-party campaign uh, committed to actual social change, the skins will be greased to completely uh, rig uh, the outcome, first of all, by 
stripping likely progressive voters, and then we can talk about the, the flipping aspect of it as well. Is there, in terms of just still on the topic of stripping uh, voters of the right to vote, is there a, a problem with young voters as well as with African-American and Latino voters. I I mean, I recall uh, problems with young voters being able to vote in Ohio in 2004. I heard stories from this year in Iowa about polling places being placed far from campuses and reports from New Hampshire of students being turned away who thought they were going to be allowed to register on the same day as voting. Uh, Is is all of that a question of of incompetence or, or is there some coordinated scheme because it seems that both in the Democratic primary and probably in the general election, there is a decided favorability for one side over the other uh, among the young potential voters. Yeah, especially college students are targeted, uh, challenged on their uh, right to vote based on where they live as opposed to where they're uh, going to school. We saw this in Ohio also. There's an unbalanced in um, at Kenyon College in 19, uh, sorry, in 2004, they shortchanged uh, the the polling place at Kenyon College and gave them two machines, one of which rapidly broke down. Whereas at a fundamentalist college five minutes away, um, you know they had plenty of machines, and so you could vote at the fundamentalist college in five minutes, and it took up to eight hours at Kenyon College. Now the kids turned it into a party, but we know that this is. Uh, it also happened at Oberlin College in northern Ohio. And so the, um, the powers that be are able to target certain uh, uh, districts uh, based in part on the nature of the college and, and the idea that young people will be voting there. And our kids are in, on campus are usually challenged as to where they're li- really living. If they want to vote on campus, <clears throat> they're, they're often disqualified because they have different home addresses and vice versa. So uh, this is something that, that's to be watched for. And of course, now, David, um, <clears throat> with this attempt, uh, really this push to get uh, demand photo, photo ID, uh, that discriminates a lot against elderly people who uh, don't have uh, driver's license a lot of time, don't have any photo ID, and it amounts to a poll tax where they're being required to go to the Motor Vehicle Bureau or some other government agency and pay for a, uh, a photo ID, and getting there is often a challenge. And so they're, they're stripping it at all ends of the, uh, of the of the book here, uh, getting rid of young people who tend to vote the uh, uh, left, uh, getting rid of elderly people who are certainly committed to Social Security and Medicare, and then uh, African Americans and Hispanics. And you know this has become both an art and a science, and uh, they know how to do it. They've been doing it at least since 2000. The stripping part of election theft, and um, you know we're we're seeing it underway now as Greg Tallis has reported. So this is a very serious challenge to uh, what's left uh, of our democracy, if you can still call it that. Yeah, and and they have hit us with that photo ID uh, requirement here in Virginia as well, which has been considered a swing state in recent elections. Um, the, The stripping part seems like a transparent, undisputable, empirically observable injustice, that there ought to be major organizations and constituencies willing to work to fix, and I think to some extent there are. The flipping seems to be a little more controversial and less reported in the corporate media. Uh, Explain to listeners what what flipping means. Well, um, if you have not sufficiently purged the voter rolls to win an election, 
And you have control of the Secretary of State's office, uh, as well as the governorship, which is true in six key swing states now, Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Michigan, Iowa, and uh, Arizona, all have Republican governors and Republican Secretary of State. And, of course, the vast bulk of the votes are being cast and counted electronically. And so if you're confronting, if you're a governor sitting with your Secretary of State at midnight on election night after the ballots have been cast, and you notice that you're losing, uh, you can just call in the IT person and uh, flip the whole election in a matter of about 60 seconds. All these machines are hackable. The, most of the electronic voting machines in the country are around 10 years old. I mean, uh, you and I are not operating iPhones or even laptops or desktops that are anywhere near 10 years old. But these things are very easily hackable. Uh, it's been shown repeatedly <clears throat> that these electronic voting machines can be hacked. Uh, you can even hack one from a car on the street next to a precinct with Wi-Fi if you really know what you're doing, and you may not even have to know that much. But uh, we saw this, uh, uh, David, in uh, 2000 in um, Florida. Uh, there was a switch. Uh, just as the networks were about to call the election for Al Gore, uh, there was a switch of about 16,000 votes. Um, in Volusia County. It was done electronically. And um, John Ellis, a Bush cousin, uh, who was a Fox commentator, uh, jumped up and down and said, no, 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 Gore's not winning. Look at, look at these, uh, this shift in Florida. And they all stopped calling the election for Gore and then, um, you know, started playing games with the vote count and suddenly Bush emerged as the winner. And, of course, Gore has never said anything about this. But it's very well documented. Bev Harris uh, did it with black box voting, Greg, in 2000. And then in 2004, at 1220 at night, uh, we got a screenshot of the CNN um, outcome, uh, predicted outcome of the election. And there were 11 swing states, nine of which uh, were in the, in the Kerry camp. In the, there were blue states by then. Uh, Florida and um, Colorado showed for Bush. <clears throat> but the other states, uh, Minnesota, Ohio, Nevada, um, uh, Arizona, a couple others, a few others, uh, Wisconsin, showed in the, blue, in the blue column for Kerry, and that clearly gave him the election by a very substantial margin in the Electoral College. That was at 1220 at night. At 2 in the morning, an hour and a half later, the whole picture changed. And... Ohio, among others, com uh, had uh, um, complained of glitches in the vote count. Always watch for glitches in the vote count after the ballots or as the ballots are being counted and cast. And the uh, Secretary of State of Ohio, who was happened to be co-chair of the committee to re-elect Bush Cheney, um, stopped the flow of vote count information. In other words, the votes were frozen as they were at 1220 at night, and then at 2 in the morning, um, when the flow of vote counts resumed, uh, Kerry's 4.2% lead uh, had turned into a 2.5% uh, victory for George W. Bush. It was a swing of more than 200,000 votes, uh, about 6.7%. And every um, uh, statistician 
who's looked at it has called it a virtual statistical impossibility. And not only did it happen in Ohio, it happened in eight of the nine other states that had been in the Kerry camp. Now, Wisconsin held firm, and we believe because they, they had a Doug Follett was the Secretary of State. But um, uh, all the votes, all the shifts in the vote count in um, uh, that night, on election night in 2004, went to, uh, from Kerry to Bush. Uh, in 10 of the 11 swing states, Kerry lost votes to Bush. And in four of them, it switched the uh, vote from Kerry to Bush, and then the, that's the election. And that was Ohio, Iowa, um, Nevada, and uh, New Mexico. And those four states gave Bush a second term. And it's a virtual statistical impossibility on many fronts. First of all, the size of the swing. Then the reality that 10 of the 11 states all swung in Bush's direction. We looked at the 50 states in 2004. We found one or two where there were some shifts from Kerry to Bush. I mean, I'm sorry, from Bush to Kerry. But the rest of it all went to Bush. And it's statistically impossible unless you're in the process of stealing an election. Now, we later found out that the vote count in Ohio was contracted to a Bush uh, family-related uh, firm uh, and headed by a guy named Michael Connell, who was a devotee of the Bush family. And they, were, they had a no-bid contract given to them by J. Kenneth Blackwell, who was the Secretary of State of Ohio, and also the co-chair of the Bush-Cheney campaign. And um, Michael Connell was, had, was with the Bush family all the way back to Bush 1. George H.W. Bush. And the vote count came back under his supervision to Blackwell uh, with a massive shift from Kerry to Bush. And that's how, Kerry, that's how Bush carried Ohio. And it all happened between 12.20 and 2 a.m. in the morning of election night um, uh, in 2004. We um, told the um, Bush, the Kerry campaign, we were in touch with them, and we told them two things. We said, first of all, this, this shift is not possible unless the election is being stolen. And second of all, um, Bush was leading by about 120-some thousand votes, and 250,000 votes had yet to be counted, just flat out, you know, out there. And the Kerry campaign responded uh, by conceding at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, leaving essentially a quarter million votes uncounted in Ohio, which has still never been counted. Uh, and so this flip part of the election now can be done um, in about 60 seconds is what it would take. You, you can have people campaigning, you know, with millions of dollars spent and hundreds of appearances and tens of thousands of people coming out to the events and all the media yapping and all that stuff, and the whole thing can come down to 60 seconds in front of an IT person who knows how to flip uh, the electronic vote count.
We're speaking. That's the reality of the 2016 election. We're speaking with Harvey Wasserman, uh, who has closely studied election fraud in the United States. Uh, it does seem clear, Harvey, that uh, in a number of different ways, the t- the 2000 presidential election was stolen, including after all of the 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 stripping and the flipping. If the votes had simply been recounted uh, and not stopped by the Supreme Court, uh, Al Gore would have won, uh, no matter which way they were counted in Florida. Uh, and, and, and David, as you know, that's one of the most astonishing uh, Supreme Court decisions in all of American history. Yes, it is. They, and, took, and, the 14, they took the 14th Amendment and said that, uh, and I guess the 5th to a certain extent, and said that Bush, would, to continue with the recount, would have deprived Bush of due process. How you come to that conclusion is is. You know, well, they, there's nothing. Well, they didn't even come to that conclusion. They said we are stipulating this in this one case, and it shall not set a precedent or any logical uh, argument for any future case. It's openly hypocritical in, in their ruling. But I, I think that uh, that then you jump to the year 2004, and you know, according to Mark Crispin Miller, uh, Kerry admitted to him that he agreed that it had been stolen, but he wasn't going to say it publicly and has never repeated it. Whether whether that was true. Or not, uh, many observers uh, understood the arguments that that you and and Bob Vitrakis and others uh, made very clearly, and viewed Al Gore and John Kerry as people who were willing to knowingly surrender and, and have elections stolen. Which is why I think there was a great deal of of passion uh, immediately upon any hint of shenanigans in in Iowa and New Hampshire uh, this year, uh, you know, and a demand to know would Bernie Sanders be the kind of guy who would go through all of this <laughs> years-long hell of election campaigning and then throw it all away, uh, or would he stand up uh, and fight for something? Um, it, it, well, I've heard descriptions of, of people who were at the Iowa caucuses that indicate to me there was just a circus. And, you know, there has been a discussion of six key coin flips, all of which Hillary won. Um, we don't seem to think, we don't see much evidence of a flipping uh, going on in New Hampshire this time, this week. Um, and, and uh, you know, people get, get despair you know, over this. You know, there's a, the line in, uh, from Jack Nicholson and a few good men, you know, truth you can't handle the truth. Well, people seem unable to handle this reality that the whole election process, that all these months and, and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars and countless hours of bloviating on the TV set, is all, it's all a charade. It all comes down to 60 seconds on election night with an IT person flipping the vote count. Eighty percent of the votes this year will be counted cast and counted on electronic machines. I, I think if you're willing to look at it carefully and you look at numerous cases, it becomes obvious. I mean, there are elections like Don Siegelman's, the governor of Alabama, where he had won and then the Republicans in one polling place waited for all the Democrats to leave and then recounted the vote and suddenly he lost and the Supreme Court sided with them but forbid any further recount to verify it. I mean, it, it's, it, it's blatant that this sort of thing goes on, but the counter-argument that, that people will make sometimes is, well, then why are there elections that everyone predicts will be stolen and aren't? Uh, why was Barack Obama 
you know, horrible president as he was going to be, uh, but a Democrat, uh, permitted to win uh, against the Republicans uh, when all Well, because these... he, he, he won by too big a margin. Right. And they were watching, by the way. They were definitely watching. Who, who is they you and what were watch. they watching? Well, the Democrats were watching the vote count. And, uh, but we, we, I've seen estimates of Barack Obama's true margin of victory, well over 10 million votes, even though he was officially credited with about 7 million margins. And uh, in Ohio, they did, uh, the Republican machine in 2012 did attempt to uh, tinker with the uh, machines of putting in a patch, which uh, Bob actually went to court and prevented, uh, that could have flipped Ohio. Um, it wouldn't have been enough. Uh, um, in 28 and 2012, uh, Obama won in too many states, uh, and by too big a margin. Yeah. And that's what we always hear from the Democrats now. When we talk to Democrats and their supporters, uh, we say, you know, you got to deal with it. And they say, no, no, don't talk about it, because what we have to do is win by 10 million votes, and then and then it'll be okay. You're, they accuse us of uh, depressing the, the turnout. Uh, you know, it's insane. Depressing the turnout by trying to yeah. create a verifiable system where even if it's a narrow victory, it's still a victory? That depresses right. the turnout? That's right. We're supposed to give the Republicans kind of a handicap of six or seven million votes. Yeah. I, 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 so, I don't know why you can't do both, why you can't pursue a massive victory by, uh, by tens of millions of votes and try to create a verifiable system. And, and you guys have laid out a plan in one of your articles that you call the Ohio Plan with several elements of what it would take to have a, a trustworthy election system. Can you briefly spell out what you have in mind? Yes, uh, David. Uh, first of all, um, universal automatic voter registration. That means anybody who turns 18. When you turn 18, you are automatically registered to vote. You can get forms at the uh, Motor Vehicle Bureau, the, at your high school, college, post office, wherever you want. You get a, you're, you're automatically, if you're 18, you register. And then when you show up to vote, uh, there's no photo ID required. Photo ID is just a, for, a poll tax. If, you know, there are plenty of young people and plenty of elderly people who don't have photo ID, or poor people, homeless people. And uh, it is it costs money to get a photo ID. This was abolished in the 24th Amendment in 1964. Uh, the Supreme Court has yet to rule on this, by the way. But, um, you know, the lower courts have actually thrown out photo ID requirements in general. Yeah. But it, we don't have a definitive ruling yet. And um, the and it's clearly discriminatory against African Americans and, and uh, poor people, young and old. And in fact, um, Alabama, I believe, was one of the states in the South that sort of um, uh, surreptitiously withdrew their motor vehicle uh, places from African American communities, making it harder to get photo ID. Yeah. Now, of course, there could not hardly be a connection, but you know. The reality is that uh, this is going on. Then we want um, a, a four-day weekend national holiday for voting, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Because to have it on a Tuesday is discriminatory against voting, uh, working people. I mean, you have to get, get off work to go vote. That shouldn't be the case. Yeah. So Saturday is for people who go to church on Sunday. Sunday is for people who go to synagogue on Saturday. And then Monday and Tuesday, everybody's off and... 
you go vote. And then, you know, at the close of the polling station on, on Tuesday, you start to vote count. And it's, it has to be 100% uh, hand-counted paper ballots. You want the, ba- the ballots printed on recycled or hemp paper, and they have to be maintained for two years after the election. And counted and, at uh, each polling place? Yes, counted at each polling place with the um, results uh, posted at the polling place. Now, many, um, so that you can do a recount if you want to, by having people go to each and every polling place and take a picture of the uh, posted um, uh, results and then uh, double-check that way. That could be done. Yeah. And we have, and it's generally required by law to post um, uh, the results at a polling station, but we see that some of these places have fallen down on this for obvious reasons. And that you can't, you go there and there's nothing posted. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and then of course, you know, we keep the, uh, we keep the balance for two years and smoke the hemp ones and then we, we're done. Um, now, correct so, me if I'm wrong, counting the ballots publicly at each polling place and recording the totals from each polling place uh, makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to do another uh, favorite reform of some progressives, which would be instant runoff voting. Um, and, of course, if I had to choose between those two particular reforms, uh, I want the, the publicly, verifiably counted paper ballots at each polling place. I want to know who voted for whom. Uh, otherwise, the, you know, the other reform doesn't work either. But, uh, but, right. the, but the two are in conflict, are they not? Well, yes, and they also have a conflict of uh, paper ballots with people who are handicapped um, and visually impaired. Uh, they, they need electronic re- machines to vote on, and we would have to have some accommodation for that. That's the first thing we hear when we talk about sure. abolishing electronic voting machines is, oh, you're discriminating against the visually impaired. Well, you know, we have a country that's democratically impaired. So you have to find a middle ground there. Nothing's I, I ever agree. 100%. A couple of we want to pay the, the students who will... Student, we want the country's students, to high school and college students, to get the days off and to be paid $15 an hour minimum wage to run the polling stations and then do the vote count. Of course, I immediately got a, an email on that one from an elderly person who depends on the income from working the polling stations. But, you know... <laughs> So we'll have to sort that one out, too. But uh, that, that's what we want. Uh, it'll be a great civics lesson for the students of the country to run the polling stations and count the balance. Old people have been screwing this system up. A couple of states, if I remember right, first Oregon and then California, have taken steps toward uh, automatic voter registration. We set up an email at rootsaction.org where you could email your state legislators in every other state saying, you know, do this too. But I, I discovered that in a majority of states, when you go get a driver's license, if you're 18 or over and male, you're automatically registered for the military. You know, so the right. so the technology exists. It's just a question of priorities. Right, and then you know we also get stuff like in Texas, uh, they require photo ID, and your student ID is not acceptable, but your gun license is. Oh. <laughs> so we have we have a little comment on the culture there from Texas. Yeah, which makes a difference because they're they're predicting which way you're going to vote based on whether you have a gun ID. Um, right. The uh, so we think that uh, you know Bernie has uh, Bernie Sanders has advocated paper ballots and universal registration, but you know it's it's going to be too little, too late. Some, somebody has to really, really get a plan to focus on this. And the most important thing in the 2016 
is to make sure that there are exit polls that are done everywhere. Exit polling is extremely accurate if it's done right. And then we have to scrutinize every precinct and every electronic vote count and see how it stacks up with the, with the exit polls. Now, the current <laughs> way they do it is they take the exit polls, and if the exit polls don't agree with the official electronic vote count, they change the exit polls. Yeah, yeah. You use them in the opposite manner of, of the purpose they might serve. Harvey Wasserman, right. we will have links to all of this information at talknationradio.org. Thank you very much for coming on the program. Well, David, our new book will be the strip and flip election of 20, selection of 2016, and we look forward to talking with you more about it. You're a great guy. We appreciate it. Thanks, Harvey. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.